Hi, good morning everyone and welcome again to One Tribe. Uh, my name is Sean and I am one of the elders here uh, at the church. Now guys, I don't have the best fashion sense, but don't worry, I don't normally dress like this, okay? Um, well, actually, to be honest, I have dressed like this once before um, in church. So if you were here in 2018 during the Just Walk Across the Room series, I'm sorry about any kind of unwelcomed flashbacks. Um, just be glad that I'm not wearing my Speedo, okay, with, with this outfit. Okay, one of the best things I think, though, about East Africa is the amazing coastlines. And if you grew up in a dry, landlocked country like Zimbabwe, like me, the coast, it has this kind of magical appeal. And about a year ago, our family, we were lucky enough to be at Wetamu, and we decided to go snorkeling, right? So we got on a boat, and after a short ride, picture this, they switched the engine off of the boat, and we dive into the water. It's so cool and welcoming and peaceful. The ocean is like a mirror. There's, there's a blue sky above us with some wisps of clouds. There's not really waves. But see, I can feel the ocean just rocking me up and down. In the words of my Australian friends, I, I find myself whispering, how's the serenity? And then I, I remember that actually I'm, I'm, I'm here to snorkel. And what if I was to tell you that right under, underneath my line of view, there's a whole universe of activity that I can't see. So what I do is I, I put the, the goggles on, I, I put my mouthpiece in, and I prepare for my snorkeling. So I flip like graciously, gracefully onto my belly. I put my feet up and I dip my head under the water. And as I do that, I, I try to take into my, my surroundings all these colors and activity that's around me. Is, is, is that a, a parrotfish? How, how, how did I not feel all these fish if they were there around my legs all of this time? In the distance, I, I see something that looks like a stingray gliding along. And then this, this green eel darts out from underneath me. The swarm of blue and yellow fish comes around me. It's incredible. How did I, I not know this was there? And down at the, the ocean floor, I see the, 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 the fingers of the reef pointing up at me. And on, on, the, on the ocean floor, I can see starfish dot, dotted, dotted all around, brilliant colors. The water is so clear. I didn't know it. I just didn't know where to look. So I decide to take a break. I, I bring my head back up to take in the ocean surface. And the contrast is baffling. No pictures, Chris. Um, the contrast is baffling. Everything on top of the surface is so still and at ease and tranquil. I go back under again, there's, there's activity, there's movement, there's color. I come back up again, serenity. I put my head back under the water again, there's dazzling colors and commotion. I come back up, it's smooth sailing. I go back under again, there's this wonderful chaos. I come back up again, it's silence. So let me ask you, which of those views would you rather have? Today we're talking about a vision over the next two weeks at One Tribe as we kick off the year. And vision is so important to us because if we lack vision, it's kind of like floating on the surface of Watamu Marine Park, not even knowing that there's this incredible view just underneath us that we're not even looking at. I love Andy Stanley's definition of vision. He says that vision is a clear mental picture of what could be fueled by a conviction of what should be. 
So vision for us as a church is so important if we are to understand why do we even exist as a church? And if we're going to have a passion stirred in us for where we are going as a church. Our vision statement here at One Tribe is multiplying, gospel-centered, spirit-empowered, missional churches in Nairobi and beyond. And I can tell that if you've been around for a while, you've heard us say this before. In fact, we had um, four of the leaders in our broader family, advanced family of churches, speak to us uh, over uh, a Zoom recordings on, on four aspects of this, namely missional, spirit-empowered, multiplied, multiplying, and gospel-centered. And I, I will point us back to some of those aspects today um, as we talk about vision for this year, but there's a lot to unpack in that statement. And actually today, what's on my heart is just to speak to you about one word in that vision statement. And it's probably not the word that jumps out at you. In fact, dare I say, it might be the word that most makes you want to yawn and fall asleep in your chair. That word is churches. Churches. You may be thinking, shucks, that's an anticlimax. That doesn't sound like a very exhilarating topic for a vision Sunday. You might think, when I think of church, to be honest, I think of a building. Or maybe I think of a long Sunday meeting or a bunch of programs. A lot of us who've decided to follow Jesus, if we're really honest, would say that there's been seasons in our faith where we would say, hey, Jesus, he's cool. The church, uh, not so much. Okay, I mean, the church is a little lame. It's a little boring. And it's pretty messed up. But what I want to talk to you about today is the fact that God in His Word and by His Spirit wants to show us a much grander and higher vision for the church. I pray that He'll give us spiritual goggles today that we can put on like when we're snorkeling and, and be able to see under the surface the marvelous, multicolored things God is doing in His church on planet Earth, both locally and globally, and convince us that this is something we actually can't afford to miss out on. If you're new here today, this is a bit of a different sermon. Um, this is more of a family moment for us, but we're so glad you're with us, looking in, and this is a great way for you to understand a little bit of what we're all about. Um, our, our verses for this morning come from Ephesians, so you can open up in your own Bibles to chapter 3, or you can look on the screen, and I'm just going to read from verses 8 to 12. To me, though I am the very least of these saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places." This was according to the eternal purposes that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. God, we just want to say thank you this morning that we can gather in your name at the start of this year. We thank you that we've had the joy of singing the deep truths of our faith over each other, 
of worshipping you as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the one in whom we are able to have access to God himself, to be known as sons and daughters. We thank you for these truths, and, and God, who am I to speak today on the beauty of your church? Lord, we acknowledge our need for you. Won't you come by your Spirit? Won't you move in power through your Word? Won't you cut, cut us to our hearts, remind us of who we are in you and our destiny in you? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the context here in Ephesians 3 is that uh, Paul starts in Ephesians by actually starting to write a prayer for the church in Ephesus. And order, almost immediately, he interrupts himself and he gets distracted. He takes this 12-verse detour into kind of explaining the marvelous salvation that God has planned for the Gentiles. And then he goes on to say that never before, since the start of creation, has this, this plan of God been seen by anyway. But now, in this time, the manifold wisdom of God, which means the multicolored, technicolored wisdom of God is on display. And how is it on display? He says it is through the church. And, and what God will display through the church is so wonderful. It's so dazzling. They're not just people, but it says that angels and on the other side, demons will, will look at what God is doing through his church and they won't be able to deny the excellent wisdom of God in all that he is doing. You see, Paul undoubtedly had a high view of the church. The church was not on the periphery for Paul's worldview. It was central. Listen to how Eugene Peterson translates Paul's comments in the opening chapter of Ephesians as he talks about the power of the risen Christ. He says, he is in charge of it all. He has the final word on everything. At the center of this all, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. That's quite a statement. And friends, can I just confess that I have not always shared Paul's high view of the church as a Christian. Uh, for Tez and I, uh, since we got married in 2007, uh, we spent about eight years in many great churches here in Nairobi and enjoying fellowship and, and growing in God. But, but to be honest, I don't think we had this high view of the church that we see in the Bible here. I think for us, we thought, hey, we're Christians. We probably should go to church. It's just something that Christians do. <laughs> and that's true. But it's not a very exciting motivation to get out of early on bed on a Sunday morning and make a drive 40 minutes across town. I, I think we also looked at all the benefits that we got out of church. It was like, hey, we get to worship, we get to see friends, we get to listen to teaching, and, and all of that was great, and, and it helped us to grow in our walks with Christ. But, but God started to stir something in us, and, and I don't think we really had the words for it, but we started to yearn and pray for something more, to, to be on mission, I think, with the church. And when we started to meet with two other couples in, in 2016 and pray and dream about this church, God started to do something new in us. And I think a big part of what God did in us is He started to grow in us a higher view of the church, something that we were actually wowed by, something that we just desperately wanted to be a part of. 
Now, the book of Ephesians, it's a great book to study if you want to get a biblical view of the church. It's full of amazing pictures and teaching on what the church is. But I can't go through all of that, and to be honest, I'm not the most qualified to talk on the ecclesiology, the, the, the biblical theology of the church. And I'm also very aware that there is a fine line between a long sermon and a hostage situation. <laughs> so I'm going to try and keep it tight. And, and the way I'm going to do that is, um, uh, as elders and elders in training, we've been reading this book at the end of the last year called, What on Earth is the Church For? by a guy called Dave Devonish. He's a father figure in the New Frontiers churches uh, that we came out of. And, and as I've been reading that book, it's been really helpful in thinking about vision for this year. And in particular, there was just one sentence in the middle of a paragraph that kind of just jumped out at me. And I'm going to use that sentence as three headings for why we should hold a high view of the church as we go into 2023. Dave Devonish writes, the church is a people for the Father, a bride for the Son, and a temple for the Spirit. So firstly, a people for the Father. If you go back from Ephesians 3 to Ephesians 2, Paul says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of His household. Peter says it even more clearly in his epistle. He says, once you are not a people, now you are the people of God. You see, it's always been God's plan, not just to rescue individuals, but to gather a people for Himself. We see that right from the start in the Old Testament, where He chooses the nation of Israel as a people. But that's just a precursor to the New Testament church that we see gathered in the name of Jesus. And it all points ahead to the new creation, when one day Revelation says, around the throne of God, a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation will be worshiping Him wholeheartedly. So that the, the glory of God will fill the earth, that the nations will be glad. And it's not just creation that will shout God's praise, but it's a diverse, multicolored, white-hot set of worshipers, a family of worshipers who give glory to Father. And this is why I'm so glad that our vision statement talks about multiplying churches, because I believe that that's the best way to align with what God is doing in His plan throughout history to gather a people for Himself. This picture of people for the Father doesn't just describe the nature of the church, it also describes the mission of the church. It's always been God's plan to reach the families of the earth through the family of God. Again, with, with Abraham, we see God saying to him when he calls him, he says, hey, I will bless you and your family, and through your family, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And then we see in the book of, of Acts, it's not just individual evangelism and individual missionaries. No, we see that the gospel advances through the multiplication of churches. And that as people come to believe in Christ, they are immediately and always added to the people of God. There's, there's no concept in the New Testament of a solo believer who is not knitted into the community of the believers. It just doesn't exist. And I think in, in these days, we can have this kind of individualistic or kind of self-centered view of our salvation, where it's just kind of me and Jesus that pushes the church to the periphery. 
and doesn't emphasize the, the passion for the Father on gathering a people for himself. But in the New Testament, we see that, that Paul and the early church always prioritized church planting and church multiplication. That's why Paul was able to say as he went through Rome in Romans, he said, I fully proclaimed the gospel from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum. And that was after just planting a handful of churches in that vast region. But his assumption was these churches that have been multiplied will go on to multiply the gospel and communities of believers in this whole area. And so I've become convinced that it is God's plan for the gospel to advance through the multiplication of churches, through local churches like ours, multiplying in other parts of our city, other parts of the nation, and beyond. And you may say, but Sean, Nairobi, it has a lot of churches. Why do we need more? Well, friends, it's true Nairobi's got a lot of churches, but I think it's fair to say that, that only a section of those churches are proclaiming the true gospel of Christ faithfully. And with a city of five million people that's growing fast, there are hundreds of thousands who still need to understand the authentic gospel of Christ. And even if only a small percentage of those were to turn to Christ, we need loads more gospel-centered, spirit-empowered, missional churches to help those believers to be added into the family of God and to grow into maturity. We need loads more New Testament churches if we're going to usher in the kingdom of God, the rule of God, the reign of God into every sphere of our society. If we're going to see things like corruption and injustice and oppression rolled back. You see, the church is the agent of the kingdom of God. And so together we need to be a city on a hill that demonstrates to the world what a kingdom community looks like. We need to be the salt of the earth as we're scattered in to our various workplaces and study places as we do life in this great city. Guys, personally, I'm so glad that this is God's plan to advance the gospel and the kingdom in the world. Because it means that I don't have to muster up some sort of solo missionary courage to kind of save the world. You know, as when I was younger, a young teenager, I always felt this call into missions. But I think I had this view in my head that there's a traditional missionary out in a village somewhere. That was the only way I could pursue this call. But actually, I think that probably the biggest way God calls most of us to engage on mission with Him is to be fully engaged with the local church. And I pray that that encourages you because it's accessible. But I pray that it also challenges you to be, not be on the sidelines, to pray about, hey, what part does God have for you to play in the mission of this local church? One of the, the biggest uh, uh, opportunities and needs we have as a church as, at the moment is in our One Tribe kids' work. And, and investing in this younger generation is such a core part of who we are. Like, like Timor and Cephas were saying, the kids are not on the edges of the vision for this church. They are right at the center. Because if the church is the family of God, then obviously it's not just adults, but it's also kids who we need to be investing in who we need to be calling to a higher view, a higher vision for life, a life that is spirit-empowered and missional and gospel-centered. And so all of us, especially those of us who've got kids in Kids Church, but actually all of us need to be carrying this generation 
on our hearts. We need to be serving them. We need to be loving them. We need to be investing in them. And for a while now, we've, we've had some headwinds in this area. We've had a shortage of volunteers. Guys, can this be the year that we own this as a church? And we say, these are our kids. This is the generation that will continue to advance the kingdom in this city and beyond. They are a priority for us. So mission starts at home. This mission starts at home with our kids and serving in our own body. And, and, uh, but it's true that, that some of us will be called wonderfully further afield into the and beyond of our mission statement, like the Massinghams, who we, we sent out as a church to church plant in Egypt. And that wasn't a, a one-tribe church plant per se, but it's absolutely an expression of our vision to multiply churches beyond Nairobi. And I'm also not saying when it comes to cross-cultural mission especially that there's no place for parachurch missions organizations. Um, just this weekend, we've got good friends from the Congo who work with Wycliffe Bible translators. They were sharing amazing stuff. They've been involved in, in translating the New Testament into three new dialects amongst people groups in the Congo. And they're taking those New Testaments and they're putting them in the hands of local pastors so that they can reach and disciple their own people. And that's a wonderful example of how even parachurch organizations always need to blow wind in the sails of the mission of the local church. And on the other side of the table, it's not okay for us as a local church to outsource or abdicate mission to parachurch organizations. Otherwise, we get this weird reality of churchless missions organizations and missionless churches who are only concerned with the pastoral elements of their existence, caring for one another, building one another up, as wonderful and important as that is. So one tribe, that the, the church is a people for the Father. It's gathered from, from every nation, and because of that, our vision is to multiply churches in Nairobi and beyond. And everything we do as a church should be leading us towards that. Obviously, it starts with, with multiplying believers, but as we've seen, as you multiply believers and people accept the gospel, they always are added to local communities of faith. And if we're going to multiply local churches in the future, then it means we need to multiply leaders now. We need to multiply kids workers now. We need to, to multiply worship teams now. Andy Stanley is, is very helpful here again. He says, vision always precedes preparation. Initially, your vision will exceed your competency. That's why we need this multiplying in our DNA now before we have the very first church plant that comes out of one tribe. And I think one of the biggest opportunities we have this year to grow in this multiplying competency and DNA is to look to multiply our life groups. Because guess what? This church, like many other churches, started like a life group. It started as a few families gathering in one another's home, reading the word together, breaking bread together, and being on mission with God and with one another together. A couple of years ago, Dave Devonish, who, who wrote this book, and he actually felt that God gave him a prophetic picture for one tribe that he shared with us as a church. And, and he said that he felt that the establishing of what God has called one tribe to would be slow initially, like the roots of a big tree that slowly go down into the ground. And that it was important for us to build strong foundations of truth, 
of doctrine, of a well-established people. But that after that, these roots would, would spring up like a tree and would send shooters out into other parts of the city and country that would grow up into their own trees. And guys, when we receive prophetic words like that, we don't just take it like infallible scripture, but the Bible says we don't despise prophecy. It says that we should weigh it against scripture, that we should be prayerful about it. And this is one of those words that as we've done that, we felt like this is good and right for us as a church to allow it to shape us and to shape our vision as a church. So the church is a people for the Father, and that makes us a missional people and a multiplying people. But secondly, we see that the church is a bride for the Son. In Ephesians 5, uh, verses 25 to 32, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. I'll stop reading there, but it goes on. And this image again speaks to us about the collective importance of our salvation. The Bible doesn't just say we are individually brides of Christ, little brides of Christ. No, it says the church is the bride of Christ. Now, of course, God did, Jesus did die to ransom you personally, to forgive your sins personally. But the Bible seems to talk just as much, if not more, about the fact that Jesus died to ransom his bride, the church. And of course, when the Bible's talking about this, it's talking about the global church, the worldwide church. It's, it's talking about church with a capital C. But it's interesting, if you read the book of Philippians, when Paul is writing to a singular local church, he uses words like bride and body to describe that local church. The, the one picture I've heard that was helpful for me is that you can think about this like um, a gold deposit that runs under the ground. And every now and again, that gold deposit will come up above the surface in an outcrop, and it will display the riches that it holds. And that's just an outcrop, but, but it displays the riches of the underlying deposit as well. And that's like the local church. Everything that is true of the global church is true of the local church. Local churches are like the visible outcrops of the gold field, the global church that they belong to. There's no other viable way to be a part of the body of Christ than to belong to the local church. This imagery of Christ loving the church as a perfect husband, laying down his life for her, should motivate us to care deeply for the church, for the bride of Christ. But it also reminds us the need to remain gospel-centered in our church life. You see, we weren't lovable, but because of our sin, we were stained and blemished. We weren't worthy of our heavenly groom, but he still chose to pursue us. He found us. He came from heaven to earth, and he laid down his life for us, as it says in these verses, to cleanse us. Guys, this is the truth that we need to display as a church to the watching world. We are the bride of Christ. We have a groom who has laid down his life for us. We are his and he is ours. Being gospel-centered is also how we actually grow in God together. We mature in our faith by reminding each other of this great gospel that is ours. 
The good news that Jesus laid down his life for us is not just our starter, our appetizer in our faith. It's our main course and our dessert as well. And, and a large part of our sanctification, our growing up in God, can only be experienced where we are known and loved in the family of God, and we can remind each other of this great gospel that is ours. We remind each other when we, 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 we're, we're struggling with, with guilt and shame, we remind each other that Christ laid down his life for us. He cleansed us by his word. When we're struggling for motivation and mission, we remind each other of the gospel that Jesus came from heaven to earth to lay down his life for us. So we gain courage and energy to lay down our lives for the mission that we're on. When, we, when we're fighting against sin, we remind ourselves that we've been bought at a price, that we belong to Christ, that he's better than any fleeting pleasure that sin can offer us. That's what Paul does. In 1 Corinthians 6, he's, he's writing to the church in Corinth on sexual sin and how to avoid it. And he doesn't say, hey guys, remember all the rules on sex and please try to follow them a little bit better. No, he says, remember the gospel. Remember that you were bought at a price. Remember that you are united with Christ like a bride is united with a groom. That you are one with him. So when it comes to sex, honor God with your body. So it helps us to be gospel-centered, and it also reminds us this picture that the church is a bride for the Son, that the church has a glorious destiny. You know, passages like this in Ephesians that talk about Jesus presenting for himself one day a church that is a radiant bride should encourage us that even though the church is not perfect, that even though we hear stories in some parts of the world of a dwindling church, we have an assurance that Jesus has redeemed the church and will one day present the church to himself as a radiant bride. Jesus said, I will build the church and the, ch and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Biblical truths like this, they inspire us that the good things that we see about the church in the book of Acts will one day be restored. And this is something that we, we're passionate about at One Tribe. That's why we use words like missional and spirit-empowered and, and gospel-centered and multiplying because those are words that describe the early church. But even more than that, we, we, we want the culture of the early church, a church that really was a family. It wasn't just about programs. They knew each other and loved each other deeply. They were in each other's homes. But here's a newsflash. The early church wasn't perfect. It had loads of problems as well. And one tribe will never be perfect. But we know that God has plans to redeem and restore the church to all it was intended to be. And because restoration is on his agenda, it should be on ours as well. We know that we'll experience the grace and power of God as we move forward and lean into his restoration purposes. Friends, we're the bride of the Son. We're the body of Christ. We have a glorious shared identity and destiny. He's promised to restore us and present us as a perfect bride one day. And he invites us now to be a part of that process. Lastly, the church is a temple for the Spirit. Let's read again from Ephesians 2, this time 21 to 22. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And him, in him too, you are being built together 
to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. This is teaching that the church has replaced the Old Testament temple as the dwelling place of God on earth. These are living stones. This is not a building. This is a group of people. Peter says these are living stones. And as we build together, as we knit it together, we become a dwelling place in which God lives by His Spirit. Just, just stop and let that sink in. The God who made the oceans, the God who made the mountains, the God who made the galaxies says that He will dwell in His church by His Spirit. Friends, that should fill us with awe and wonder and cause us to worship God. Like Solomon prays when he dedicates the Old Testament temple, we should cry out, but will God really come and dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple that I have built with my own hands. Friends, how much less this living temple that Jesus is building. And guys, the church is so much better than the Old Testament temple, which had to have curtains and walls and sacrifices and all sorts of stuff to shield the people from the glorious presence of God. No, what's happened now, there's an unprecedented access to God's presence for His people because of what Jesus did on the cross. When the the curtain was torn in two, His sacrifice replacing the need for all the other sacrifices. And like Cephas mentioned today, it's like when, when Paul is writing to the church in Corinth and he says, hey, when people come into your presence as a gathered people, they should be, be proclaiming God is at work amongst you. It's true that, that God's Spirit dwells in us individually. Paul also writes again in 1 Corinthians and says, hey, you individually, your bodies are the temple of the Spirit. But God's presence dwells in a very special way in His gathered people. The Bible teaches in in 1 Corinthians 12 about the good use of gifts of the Spirit. And it says this, it says, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given a spirit of the message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different types of tongues, and to another interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of the one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines. Guys, as we read that, it should be clear that it is impossible to fully experience, enjoy, and benefit from the presence of God in our lives in isolation. You know, wonderfully, as individuals, we do receive the deposit of the Spirit through salvation and when we baptize in the Spirit. And, and that Spirit, it, it comforts us, it gives us assurance, it, it begins an inward regeneration in us. But here we see the Bible talking about the Spirit dwelling amongst the people, scattering gifts amongst the people for the building up of the people. That's why the Spirit, the church, is the dwelling place for the Spirit. And that's why we want, as a church, we say we want to be Spirit-empowered because we need God's power as a church if we're going to live out this mission. 
We can't do it without the power and the presence of God. That's why we run courses like Thirst, so we can learn more and ask more for God of His Spirit. And Tez and I, again, we, we grew up in churches that were wonderfully gospel-centered, really solid on Bible teaching, and we're so grateful for that. But God put in us a desire also to be a part of a church that was open, like the New Testament church, to the work of the Spirit. And, and we're all still growing in that. But it's such a joy for me to come together in life groups and in a service to create space for the gifts of the Spirit and to experience the presence of God working amongst us. And it's not about an adrenaline high or an emotional experience. It's because we desperately need the power and presence of God amongst us. So friends, as we look ahead to 2023, my prayer is that we would put on these spiritual goggles, that we would be able to look under the surface and behold the dazzling, multicolored purposes of God that He's working out through His church. That we would hold this high view of the church as a people for the Father, a bride for the Son, and a temple for the Spirit. That would give us fresh faith and courage to live out this mission that we're on together of multiplying gospel-centered, spirit-empowered, missional churches in Nairobi and beyond. As the band comes up um, to lead us in one more song of worship, um, I just want to close with, with a prayer. Uh, and I mentioned that uh, Paul actually interrupted himself at the beginning of Ephesians 2, and before he went on this detour to speak about the marvelous plan of salvation that Christ had for the nations the manifold wisdom that would be on display through the church. But then he circles back and he actually finishes his prayer for the church. And I want to pray that prayer over us uh, as we start this new year. So I'd ask you to stand with me uh, as we pray. And, and I want to ask you to engage with this prayer. Uh, I don't want it just to be Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus. I don't want it just to be my prayer for us as a church as a one, at one tribe. I want to ask that we would pray this together. As Paul said, that we would kneel before the Father in heaven together. And as Timor said today, you know, sometimes it's helpful to do something physically, not just in our minds and in our spirits as we engage with God. So I just want to invite you, whatever you'd like to do, stretch out your hands just to say, God, we, we're asking this together. Feel free to kneel uh, before the Father in heaven uh, as we pray together. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. And I want to pray for, for one tribe, that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled 
to the measure of all the fullness of God. And now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to His power that is at work within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.